the demand is here and it's now, and we have people banging on our doors saying, come on, let's do this. This is episode 269 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, Christopher talks with Pete Hoffswell from Holland, Michigan. The community has had fiber in place for a while now, but are in the process of building out a pilot program to offer connectivity to downtown areas. In this interview, Pete explains what Holland has achieved, what challenges they face, and what they have in mind for better connectivity. Now here's Christopher and Pete Hoffswell from Holland, Michigan. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today I'm speaking with Pete Hoffswell, the Broadband Services Manager for the Holland Board of Public Works in Michigan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's uh, it's good to talk to you here. Uh, let's just dig in a little bit with um, what what is Holland like? You know, Holland, Michigan is on the shore of Lake Michigan. We're about 100 miles from Chicago by boat, so it's a little longer uh, by the highway, but uh, we're uh, not that far from Chicago. We're right outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Holland has a population of uh, 33,000 and is part of a larger uh, regional area of 100,000 people. It was uh, settled uh, in 1847 by Dutch immigrants, as you could well guess. We host the Tulip Time Festival here uh, with over 600,000 visitors every year. We have a lot of tourist influx into our town. It's a big part of our DNA here. But another big part of Holland is our uh, business. We are a a support uh, industry for automotive, of course, a lot of light industry in our town. And a lot of uh, knowledge uh, workers uh, working downtown in small uh, startups, uh, everything from uh, industrial design, embedded systems, up to full, you know, cloud-based service companies. And you're a part of the the Board of Public Works, which is one of the earlier ones. I mean, uh, I think people often think that these electric utilities are, or, or utilities that went on to also do electricity started in the early 1900s, but you beat the curve quite a bit. Yeah, we had uh, a problem with all the horses running around on the streets. Um, it was a little dark and uh, there was being a problem, so we decided to uh, move from our gas lights to electric. And in uh, 1883, uh, the Board of Public Works was founded really for water first, but uh, in 1888, we started with power. We uh, got lights on the streets and immediately went everywhere else, like the rest of the country. Uh, what's sort of interesting about the Board of Public Works, though, and why you know we're talking today is uh, in 1992, the BPW decided to uh, enhance their utility services by adding a fiber optic loop to our system. Uh, it allowed us to really take care of electric switching and pumps and everything throughout the system. When we did that, somebody had the brilliant idea of building that with uh, extra capacity to serve the community for communications. We built that, Chris, as an open access model and to this day uh, have had great success uh, providing fiber not only for the utilities' uh, internal operations, but, but for our community as a whole. Well, before we, we get too far down that, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time talking about, I, I think that a number of people might think of Holland as you know, one of many Michigan towns that are, are great to visit. Uh, but Holland is, I think, somewhat unique. And, and I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about some of that. Our heritage, the Dutch heritage, is really um, it's about working, about starting businesses up. Um, you know, I just read in the paper uh, 
One of uh, the great-grandfathers of a gentleman here in town was a lamp lighter. He was lighting lamps. He went on to start a, uh, a recreational uh, equipment bike store downtown, and uh, that gentleman to this day is still running that uh, business there. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an entrepreneurship-type community. Uh, we have uh, a ton of companies down on our main street, which is called A Street, um, that uh, are all startups, whether they're uh, building uh, embedded systems to support uh, refrigerators and ovens that are built in Whirlpool just south of us to uh, cloud-based services. Um, it's really uh, amazing stories downtown. So getting on to the open access fiber, um, you're mostly serving businesses, I think. Um, you have over 200 customers. Why don't we talk a little bit about this this long history you've had with, with that model before, to tease the future, we're going to talk about the new model that you're exploring. 20 years ago, we built this fiber to support um, our utility and the community. We built that in an open access model, and we did this providing services in two different ways. The traditional dark fiber lease, we give you the strands of fiber and that's you have at it. We have a history in my office of trying to explain dark fiber and I actually really like that explanation because I think it really captures that you have to have expertise to take advantage of it. You also have a model which might be more appropriate for less tech savvy businesses. Yeah, that's our active ethernet service. And the active ethernet service is a lit service where we actually bring a uh, network uh, device into uh, the business. Uh, you plug into an Ethernet port, and we uh, provide in transit um, across our network uh, connection to wherever else you want to go. If you're a business and have uh, two locations um, in our area, we can provide transit service to connect those up just like they were on a LAN. Um, we support this uh, with a 10 gigabit MPLS backbone for the techies out there. Pretty soon we're going to upgrade that to 40 meg um, as the bandwidth is getting sucked uh, up. Presumably 40 gig. <laughs> oh, I said 40 meg. Oi. <laughs> you know, I have to speak to our community who speaks in megs, and I say, well, it's 1,000 meg. Right. <laughs> They're like, what's a gig? It's a thousand meg. Oh, okay. Yeah, I understand that now. Yeah, I yeah. like to tell people, you know, you don't have to really get focused on what it is. You just want to know, you don't, you don't even understand more is better. It, it means less waiting on your computer. Yeah, I use the, uh, the highway analogy all the time, you know, uh, a thousand mile an hour highway. That's what we're talking about. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and so when you use the Ethernet service, that's something that, that um, if I was a LISP um, that was trying to serve customers in the area, I could, I could lease that. I would pay you for that service, and then I would be branding it as my own and delivering it and offering customer support on it. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's exactly right. So our open access model really splits the facilities management. That's the fiber and the network electronics all of that separate out from the services that ride on it. So um, our open access model, we have six partner ISPs today that take full advantage of that. Um, customers call our partner ISPs, and then the partner ISP calls us and say, can you hook us up? And we've uh, done that. Uh, we have over 200 customers uh, of our ISPs that uh, utilize that. And that actually reaches outside of the city even in some cases, right? Absolutely. Um, our our electric service area reaches outside of the city proper, uh, serving over uh, 33,000 customers with uh, electric and water or wastewater. And uh, our fiber optic system extends even further beyond that, covering a uh, greater part of two different counties. 
And have you been expanding this? I, I used to use the word opportunistically. Have has this something that's um, over those twenty years you've expanded to new areas, or is it largely that same footprint that was originally built out with extra capacity? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And I have an interesting story with this. Uh, historically, um, we really, you know, built this with a capital recovery assurance. Um, if a new customer wanted to get on board, and it costs, you know, $2,000 to build the fiber into their building, then we said, sure, you can come on board for $2,000. Well, growth was very slow that way. That's a big upfront investment for any company. Four years ago, we decided to change our um, cost recovery model, which was that upfront pay pay, and we'll build it, uh, to a uh, four-year return on investment model where we take the revenues that we expect to earn over four years on that new circuit and roll that into the build cost. So this allows us to grow fiber much quicker by just taking and uh, reinvesting in the system. And I'm curious, if I'm an ISP that is using your services, um, am I paying you a percentage of revenue that I'm making or is it a flat fee um, based on different criteria? It's a flat fee. And uh, as a uh, municipal utility, we operate in a classic rate book format. So we have, you know, our dark fiber leases, so many cents per mile and our uh, active Ethernet service is so many dollars per meg. And you can go right to our website and see all that. The um, ISP pays those flat rates to us, and then they mark that up with whatever the cost and revenue that they want to make on top of that. Right. And so, so we've been talking about this, this open access model that uses dark fiber and active Ethernet, um, mostly to connect larger businesses. But there's something new in the air as of this summer. Well, I mean, it's been officially decided this summer, but um, it's been talked about for quite a while. Uh, we're talking about a, a yet another approach, the Gigabit Passive Optical Network, or GPON, which is um, for people who aren't familiar. Um, it's the, the technology that, that, for instance, Chattanooga uses, Verizon uses, um, a lot of the biggest ISPs have used uh, to connect residents. Um, so what are you doing with GPON in the near future? One of the um, issues we've had in our community, our services work great for uh, medium and large-sized businesses. We haven't been able to um, really provide um, service uh, to the rest of our community. And uh, the city council uh, here in Holland um, over the past couple of years has uh, uh, prioritized that uh, highly. It was number one a couple of years ago is uh, broadband development in our community. And they tasked the BPW um, to uh, take a look at uh, that and come up with solutions. What we've done is uh, a year ago, we started a pilot using GPON downtown, connected up some of um, the retail um, establishments down there. We connected up restaurants and coffee shops to uh, provide um, gigabit service to their customers. We also connected up a uh, incubator space uh, where we have a uh, small companies working together in a collaborative environment, and they needed a lot of bandwidth. And uh, a great company downtown um, called Collective Idea that does um, online uh, applications development for companies across the country and around the world. They rely heavily on Internet connectivity as part of their business. And uh, our pilot served them over the past year very successfully. So we're moving now to an expanded pilot program and we're going to utilize this uh, GPON infrastructure 
Uh, we're going to build it out to a, a footprint, a sort of a, a fiber zone, if you will, downtown. It covers 158 buildings with about 450 customers. And this is a typical Main Street. So you have the first floor is retail, restaurants, coffee shops, and whatnot. And upstairs is uh, small businesses and residential amenities. I just wanted to suggest that if people want to get a sense of how the public is responding to to both uh, the existing pilot and the expanded pilot, um, hollandfiber.org is a really good site. Other communities should definitely be taking a look at this in terms of how activists and people in the community can um, document and encourage um, these kinds of investments. But I just, I love the quotes from people involved and you get a real sense that, that there's a lot of enthusiasm. I am glad you brought that up. Uh, one of our key strategies uh, is uh, we, we're building fiber for our community. Does our community want it or not? We're not going to build fiber to the community if they say, you know what, we're good. You need to have that relationship with your community. You need to be open. You need to have those stakeholders out there that are saying, you know what, this is really a good thing for our community. We need you to do it. And uh, HollandFiber.org is that community side. It's really uh, a key component of uh, developing fiber. And, and a good model for others to check out. Um, but let's, let's go back to this, um, the, the, the pilot and the expanded pilot. Uh, with a new technology, there's been some lessons learned. And, and one of the decisions that you made this summer was that um, you're going to become an ISP as uh, the city um, rather than only doing open access. Yeah, we will be a municipal ISP. Um, it's an exciting time for us. As we've been talking about, we have an open access model. We have a lot of partner ISPs. And we were uh, really excited about doing an open access uh, GPON uh, infrastructure as well and uh, put an RFI out for that. Um, our RFI respondents were really the companies doing sort of a classic model, which is the facilities plus service-based uh, stuff. And since we do all the facilities, it didn't really match up. And so this is something that, that might be surprising to people, but um, this happens fairly frequently, I think, where the city says, we would like to do A. And you get a bunch of responses from city, from companies that say, we're going to do B. <laughs> and then the city has to figure out um, what it wants to do because you can't force companies to in, to participate in your plan A. You have to adjust, right? You do. And Chris, you know as well as anybody that this is a new market. It's new ways of doing business. The business models are being figured out right now. I mean, we really are on the cutting edge of figuring out new ways to provide broadband services to a community. And I think, you know, this idea of public-private partnerships and where it's going to ultimately end up, um, we're not sure. I mean, we're trying to figure it out. Um, that's what our process has been. We're becoming an ISP, yes, but we're designing our GPON infrastructure to be open access still. So like the Ammon model, we love Ammon. It's great, great, great model. We are going to do that um, in our town too. We're going to be the ISP first, and we really, really hope to see uh, partner ISPs and other service providers too, whether they're you know security or phone or whatever over-the-top services they want to provide. It's all going to be open and available. Our rate books are written this way. So it's like, for us, it's like law. So where are you at now as we're talking at the beginning of September? Yeah, so we've gotten through the uphill battle of planning and policy 
and regulations and laws. Um, really, you know, I think of uh, the little engine that could, you know, I think I can, I think I can. We've been doing that here for the past year in earnest, working at getting everything lined up, um, ready to go. With, that culminates at the peak of the hill with our city ordinance that authorizes the BPW to become an ISP. We're ready to go. So now we're on the downhill run. We're working on building fiber downtown. So we have fiber everywhere, but we don't have a G-PON infrastructure. That's fiber to every single building downtown. That's what we're going to build here over the next couple months. And uh, we should uh, see our first customers coming online with our new service in November. So for people who are located outside of downtown, <laughs> who are undoubtedly enthusiastic about the expansion, but curious when they might also get their crack at it, uh, what do you tell them? Personally, I'm a big advocate of ubiquitous networks. The fiber should be available to everybody, just like the roads are available to everybody. Our downtown pilot is really an exploration on what is it like to provide uh, this new, what we call shared gigabit service. How do the numbers work out? What is the take rate? And we want to get our feet wet with this project. That's why we call it an expanded pilot. But for every one person that signs up downtown, we have 10 people that are sending in notes of uh, requesting connectivity. So there's definitely interest outside of our, our initial area, and we're trying to figure out how we can do that. The downtown project, Chris, is working on that four-year type ROI model. We're building that on the understanding that we will get the revenue um, back over the next few years to pay for that infrastructure. We're very confident as a high-density people downtown. That doesn't translate well to the rest of our community, which is going to be uh, you know, the, a small city density of customers. And then out in our outlying townships, you're getting into rural access. So we sort of have the whole gambit from a high density all to the way to the rural. And we're trying to figure out how do we pay for that. And I think everybody in the country is trying to figure out how to pay for that. I think half your podcasts are probably focused on this particular <laughs> issue. Right. Yeah, and I know that you, and I'm seeing you at many events and things like that. I know you've been paying attention to what other folks are doing. So what are some of the things that, that you've seen other people doing that you're considering doing? We're researching this right now, I'm trying to figure it out. What we'll do ultimately, I'm I'm really not sure. The demand is here and it's now. And we have people banging on our you know, doors saying, come on, let's do this. The great models that uh, we see out there today is uh, that of demand aggregation, which is uh, your typical model that you see uh, throughout the country. Uh, that's where you identify a zone, an area in your community, and you say, okay, everybody in that area, you guys sign up. And if you commit to purchasing the service, then we will go ahead and build it out to you. So once the take rate in that zone gets to a certain level, you have an assurance that you'll be able to recover your investment on the revenues that you'll get from that area, and you go ahead and build it. That's what they do over in Europe, right? They've been doing this a long time, demand aggregation. We've seen various levels of success in the country with demand aggregation. It can't be tricky. 
one of the one of the important pieces is something you said earlier, which is that you have a commitment to get to everyone eventually, but you may be prioritizing based on the business model, which um, you know I think is is definitely a reasonable way to go. And uh, one of the things that I strongly believe is is local authority. And if people, you know, if the voters of Holland would like to use a different model, they could certainly tell their their elected officials to do that. Um, you know, I think a lot of this is is that is the, is the DPW, the Department of Public Works, figuring out how to act within the current political environment. But people could always change that if they would like to get fiber more rapidly. Yeah, demand aggregation, it's not a ubiquitous bill. Economic divides match up with digital divides. And as you well know, this may not um, be a good way to build um, fiber into communities that may be really needed. And I just wanted to, to hammer home, I'm never as clear as I want to be, but um, you know, when, when an organization like yours is doing this, that is committed to serving everyone, that has a history of serving everyone, I, I have more faith that even if over the first few years the demand aggregation goes first to the places that are, are more fluent, that you will ultimately connect everyone. There will, the utility will have a pressure on it to connect everyone. And I just think it's worth remembering that because private companies that use demand aggregation may not have that priority to come back around and make sure that ultimately everyone gets it. Because this is a, a multi, you know, it's a hundred year technology. It's a very long horizon. And and although it's frustrating that the most affluent may get it first, it is better that the low income folks do get it over three to five years than over 50 or 60 years. <laughs> It's true, man. You can look at it as a means to an end, right? Right. Absolutely. Right. So, and I think you know any of these models um, can be used uh, in tandem in conjunction with each other to reach an ultimate goal. Right. So let's talk about another one. What else are you considering? You know, another model is that of city investment, and uh, that would be capital costs are covered by either like a bond issue or a special assessment. These have been uh, met with uh, various uh, levels of success across the country as well. We're very familiar at the Holland Board of Public Works uh, with special assessment because that is how you build utilities. That's how you build water and sewer service. If a new neighborhood comes up, they'll build a sewer main down the middle of the road, and uh, that is paid for through a special assessment. It shows up on your tax bill. It's not a tax. It's a special assessment to help recover the costs of that infrastructure bill. And I think it's worth noting that uh, if the property is sold, then um, the new owner will take over that assessment. Um, this is one of the nice things about it and something that's different about it than a tax because um, you know a homeowner is taking less risk because the assessment would stay with the property. Absolutely. Another place that the board has experience with special assessments is our downtown area. We, uh, as a power provider, have a lot of waste heat on our power plant. We've taken the waste heat and we've pumped it in pipes underneath all of our sidewalks and a lot of our roads in our downtown area to produce snowmelt system. And the snowmelt system has taken our downtown from shutting down in the winter almost because we get a ton of snow here. We're in a snow band uh, lake effect uh, here on Lake Michigan uh, to bringing uh, uh, economic revitalization uh, in the off-season for the downtown. That's paid for by a special assessment to the businesses that uh, are along that snowmelt system. So it's, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting tool on how to get things done, and uh, it's been very successful 
uh, in an economic development tool, this may be a good way to do uh, fiber development as well. So we're looking at it. I just wanted to note that was one of the things that I was thinking of as terms of Holland being special and I think thinking, um, you know, just a little bit differently. And um, one of the, the side effects of using that waste heat in that way is that, of course, you're not dumping extra salt into the lake or the watershed, which is something that I think people are going to be increasingly concerned about in the future. But that's a, it's a little bit of an aside on a technology-based podcast. It's an innovative thought, right? Innovation is a, a key to what we're trying to do and uh, thinking about things outside of the box, like our snowmelt system is a great example of that. I think it really is a good shot in the arm for uh, broadband development to say, you know what, we're not exactly sure how broadband might help our community, but we think it will help our community. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. One of the things that we didn't even think about with the snowmelt system is it is a fitness tool. We have people coming all year round to come walk on our beautiful streets because there's no snow on them and there's nowhere else that they can get out and do their walking. So, Pete, one of the things that we often see, of course, is that um, the, the big companies, your 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 Comcast, your AT&T, Verizon, Charter, whatever, um, they aren't really interested in investing in a community like Holland to um, to bring the next next generation of technology up unless there's real competition. You know, they're going to they'll do it on their time schedule. But when a city like yours starts stepping up, then they'll often increase their investment, they'll lower their prices and things like that. I'm, I'm curious how you're going to react to that dynamic when it comes to pass. How on Board of Public Works uh, works for the city, and the city has uh, a mission to for the betterment of our community, right? Um, we want to increase the attractiveness and livability of our community, and the BPW is no different. We're very excited about the incumbent ISPs uh, being in town. They have made our community better because they provide a service, right? They've done a great job of that over the past, you know, 20 plus years and right next to us providing services as well. So we've had a pretty good relationship with them. Now, moving into becoming an ISP, we're really getting into like their space, right? We're going to go fully, you know, competitive uh, customers downtown are going to be able to order from the incumbent ISPs or from us. And uh, that's great. The incumbent ISPs have responded to our work downtown by enhancing their infrastructure. We see a lot of new fiber builds going down downtown, and they're working to get their network in our city up to the next level to remain competitive. This is great. Um, it's awesome. The ultimate goal of providing better broadband for our community is being met in more ways than just us doing it. The other thing that's great on this, Chris, is we're an open access model, right? We want to build the infrastructure and let all the ISPs in the area and other service providers utilize that. And the big incumbent ISPs are facilities-based, so they don't necessarily have that in their business models. They want to own the infrastructure and then sell services on top of that. But we're starting to see some chinks in the armor. They are willing to sit down at the table and talk to us. And uh, we even have some of the incumbent uh, carriers uh, in our area using our fiber because we happen to have it where they don't have it, and it works great. We think uh, in the future we're going to see more and more of this partnership uh, infrastructure opportunities, whether it's co-builds, whether it's dark fiber leases, or 
even active Ethernet services to uh, incumbent ISPs just grow. I'm, I'm very optimistic, Chris, that we're moving to a new era of telecommunications that uh, we're going to see uh, things be more open. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who might be thinking, yeah, if I lived in Holland, I'd be pretty optimistic too. <laughs> We have a windmill here that was brought over on the ship in 1964 from the Netherlands, and uh, we have fiber even to that thing. You can go there. It's an operating windmill, and uh, you can go up there, and the the uh, folks in their Dutch costumes and wooden shoes are sitting behind the cash register, and I'll sell you a bag of flour that was ground by wind from this windmill. It's fantastic and the fiber's there to help them do it. Well, just as long as they all remember to root for the USA in the World Cup and not the Dutch, um, you know, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> hey, hey, we're all winners here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Pete, for coming on, telling us more about uh, what's going on in Holland and also for inspiring people to think a little bit about what, what they could do differently in their communities. It's all about passion. If you can see a goal of better broadband for your community, then do whatever you can to get there. Um, be excited about it. Um, know that there is a path to get there, and it's just up to you as a broadband developer to find it. That was Christopher with Pete Hofswell from Holland, Michigan, discussing the community's municipal fiber project. We have transcripts for this and other community broadband bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks to Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 269 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>